All right, Isaiah 47. I'm going to preach from up here tonight. When I teach, I teach from the floor. Tonight it's going to be more of a preaching sermon than it is teaching, so that's why I'm up here tonight. Let's stand if we can for the reading of God's Word. And uh, the hour is late, so we're going to get right in here. Verse 1 says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. For thou shalt no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstone and grind meal. Uncover thy locks and make bare the leg. Uncover the thighs. Pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not meet thee as a man. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, the Holy One of Israel. Sit thou silent and get thee into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called the Lady of Kingdoms. I was wroth with my people. I have polluted my inheritance and given them into thine hand, and thou didst show them no mercy unto the ancient. Upon the ancient hast thou very heavily laid thy yoke. And I see here in this chapter a warning from the prophet Isaiah to the nation of Babylon. But what I ultimately see is that the rocks of Babylon, the the smoldering rocks of Babylon crying out as a warning to the United States of America. While this passage is not written to America or is necessarily directly for America, boy, there are some applications in this chapter that very much can be drawn out for our country. The title of the message tonight is this, When God Destroys a World Superpower. When God Destroys a World Superpower. Babylon was great in its day. And Babylon is no more in that state. And I believe America is heading down the exact same path. I'm going to show you some of that tonight and then tell you what you can do to help slow or stop God destroying America. Let's pray tonight. Lord, take the message as we uh, are going to cover. Spirit of God, you worked in my heart putting this together. And Lord, I pray that I would preach exactly the way that you've ordered me to. And Lord God, work in the hearts of your people, both here and those watching online. And Lord, may this message go out beyond just those that are under the sound of my voice right now. Lord, may this be a wake-up call for many American Christians who are asleep at the wheel. Lord God, guide us and help us with uh, the passage tonight. Meet with us in a very, very special way. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, back in Daniel chapter number 2, we find the prophet's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. In his dream, he envisioned a great image of a man. Let's put that up there if we can. The head of the uh, image of which Nebuchadnezzar saw was a head of gold that represented the Babylonian Empire. And then the breast or chest and arms were made of silver in this dream. And uh, that represented the Medo Persian Empire. And then the belly and thighs were made of brass. And that was a representation of the Greek Empire. And then the legs made of iron was the Roman Empire. And then uh, the feet made of clay. Those are the divided nations. The rock coming in to destroy this great statue was uh, and is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, 
of all these kingdoms that you see before you right now, Babylon was the greatest. In fact, that's why it was made of gold. Daniel even told Nebuchadnezzar that his kingdom would be the greatest of all of these kingdoms. And Babylon got their start way back in Genesis chapter number 10 with Nimrod. And in chapter 11, we find the story of the Tower of Babel or the Tower of Babylon after the languages were confused and the people in that chapter spread all over the world and construction of the tower ceased. Babylon's only contribution for many centuries would only simply be Cultural. They would influence the world into the sins of idolatry and fornication. Uh, they were economically irrelevant on the global stage for a very, very, very long time. In fact, when Isaiah would pen chapter 47 in our Bibles right here, uh, he, it was simply Prophecy. It was prophecy. Why? Because Babylon, when chapter 47 was written, was still just a tiny, little, insignificant nation. But the prophet tells us in this chapter that there would be a time when Babylon would be great. And not only would Babylon be great, but they would take into captivity the Jewish people as part of God's punishment. And then Isaiah not only uh, uh, foretells the, uh, the, the, the surging rise of Babylon and the captivity of the Jews into Babylon, he also foretells the destruction of Babylon. Not only does he tell us that, it would, that God would destroy this great superpower, but he tells us why God would destroy this great superpower. What is amazing is this was written well a hundred years in advance before Babylon would even become a great nation. And to the word, the reason why Babylon was taken down by God was extremely and very accurate. We now have the scope of history to tell us that. I see many parallels between the evil and sin of the Babylonians and that of our great nation here in the U.S. of A. Now, to be clear, this passage is not written to us. But I believe that there are many, many truths about God's character that can be drawn out of this passage and many, many warnings in this passage that we all should sit up as a country, and pay attention to. So let's look at five truths out of Isaiah 47 this evening as we consider this title, When God Destroys a World Superpower. Let's look at first number one, Babylon's plight. Babylon's plight. Look back at verse number one of Isaiah chapter 47. The Bible says, Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. She was simply a virgin because she had not yet been uh, uh, invaded and taken down by another country. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt be no more called, uh, shall no more be called tender and delicate. Take the millstones and grind meal. Uncover thy locks and make bare the leg. Uncover the 
thighs, pass over the rivers. Look at three. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered, yea, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance, and I will not meet thee uh, as a man. As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is His name. The Holy One of Israel, sit thou silent, and get thee into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for thou shalt no more be called the Lady of kingdoms. We see here that God says to them, He says, one day I will make you bare. You want to flaunt your nakedness in a sensual and sexual way. One day I will strip you naked to your shame. Take your Bibles over to Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 7. That nakedness is not something that ought to be Flaunted. In fact, uh, God commands His people to put clothes on and to cover their nakedness and to be modest in the way that they present themselves. And the arrows of your fashion ought always to point at your face, whether you are a male or a female. Genesis chapter 3, much theology is found in the first three chapters of the Bible. In fact, uh, most of our world view that we have as Christians is very well established in the first three to five chapters of the Word of God. If you can understand your Christian worldview from those chapters, then you will very much understand that we are at odds and at war with the culture at large. And one of the problems with our culture today is the simple nudity and the simple uncovering of the human body and the wearing of clothes that accentuate the human form and call attention to a body. Look at Genesis 3 and look at verse 7. The Bible says, "...in the eyes of them, speaking of Adam and Eve, both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron." Aprons, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I have heard the vo- thy voice in the garden. And I was afraid, look here, because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree where I commanded thee uh, that thou shouldest not eat. And so Adam and Eve, God made them and put them in the garden of Eden. They were naked. It was a husband and a wife together and there was no shame in their nakedness. But the moment that they ate the fruit, they brought upon themselves the sin curse. They gained to themselves the knowledge of good and evil. And in the knowledge of evil they knew that it was a shame for them to uncover their nakedness. So immediately they took uh, fig leaves and they sewed them together to make some form of a covering of the body because Deep down in the heart of every man and woman, they know it is a sin to show off the flesh to someone that is not your spouse. They covered up their nakedness because they were ashamed. And then when God came a-calling, they went a-hiding because they knew that they were naked. And we live in a culture today where good is called evil and evil is called good. And uh, mankind want to walk around dressed like women. And women have for centuries or decades rather have walked around looking like men and acting like men. And up is down and down is up and now men are calling themselves women women are calling themselves men and everything's all confused and immodesty has plagued this great land and is a sign that one day God is going to uncover the nakedness of this nation both metaphorically 
and literally. Look at verse 21 of Genesis 3. The Bible says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Notice that mankind had a level of modesty with their apron of leaves. And God said, That modesty is not good enough. I will make you a more modest covering and I will clothe you. And I just want to ask this evening, are you modest by man's standard or are you modest by God's standard? We ought not look at each other and judge our modesty based on what the world does. We should look at heaven and say, God, how would you have me handle myself? You see, the nakedness there in uh, uh, in Isaiah 47 was just symbolic of the sensuality and wickedness that ran to the core of the nation. We see Babylon's plight. Number two, we see Babylon's purpose. Go back with me to Isaiah 47 and look with me, if you would, at verse number 6. We see it says, I was wroth, God says, with my people. And again, amazing. All this is prophesied well in advance of it even happening. I was wroth with my people. I have polluted mine inheritance and given them into thine hand, Babylon. Thou didst show them no mercy uh, upon the ancients. Uh, hast thou very heavily laid thy yoke? God says, I made you Babylon and I brought you to power for the purpose of taking, taking my people who were in rebellion against me into captivity. God says, I made you Babylon great simply for the purpose of punishing my people. Go back to Isaiah 39 and look at verse number 6. And here we find the story of, of uh, Hezekiah, King Hezekiah. And he allows these uh, Babylonian ambassadors to come into the palace and he shows them around all of the wealth that he has. Nothing is hidden from their eyes as they're leaving the palace and heading home. Uh, Isaiah passes them in the courtyard coming in. And Isaiah asks Hezekiah about this event, Hezekiah opens up and he is honest with uh, the prophet over what he had showed them. Look at Isaiah 39.6. Isaiah says, Behold, thy the days come that all that is in thine house, that which thy fathers have laid up in store uh, until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord, and of thy sons thou shalt issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shalt they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king's king of Babylon. And this very much came to true. Babylon would come in and they would blow up the temple. They would take the uh, dishes and much of the furniture out of the temple and carry it away into Babylon. And they would carry the children away into Babylon. We know Daniel and uh, uh, Adonai, Mishael and Azariah, or as many of us know them, Shadrach, Mishael and Abednego, were made eunuchs along with many, many other men in the nation and served at the, at the pleasure of King Nebuchadnezzar. And so, what was the purpose of the nation? God made the nation great for the purpose of punishing His people. Now listen to what I'm about to say. Every empire that's ever existed in the history of the world got their power not from some man or not from some system. They got their power from the God of heaven. God is the one that raises up nations and God is the one that puts down nations. Much like a, uh, a, a dog owner who says to the dog, uh, come here boy, come here. Up, 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 down, down, down. God says to nations, up, 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 down, down, down. And God is the one that lifts up nations and makes them great. And God is the one that puts them down. Babylon, God made them great. Not because they were worthy. Not because they were something spectacular. God made them great for the purpose of punishing His people. But we see 
ascended in their greatness, they became number three. We see Babylon's pride. Babylon's pride. Look with me at verse number six. Verse number six. And we'll read through verse number 8. The Bible says, I was wroth with my people. See the the, uh, the pride here of Babylon. I have polluted my inheritance and given them into thine hand. Thou didst show them no mercy. Look at 7. And thou saidest, uh, I shall be a lady forever. Notice the uh, self-confidence here. Uh, so, thou, so that thou didst not lay these things uh, to thy heart. Neither didst remember the latter end of it. Uh, therefore, hear now this, that thou art given. Given to pleasure that dwellest carelessly, that sayest in thine heart, I, look here, I am and none else beside me. I am, I exist. It's not I was or I will be, it's I am. That's the claim that God made to Moses. I am and none else besides me. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. What is she saying here? What is Babylon saying here at their peak? We're great. We're always going to be great. No one will ever knock us off the top. We're always always going to be the greatest uh, country, the king of the castle, the king of the hill, and nothing will ever take us down. Look at verse 10. We see the same claim. For thou hast, uh, for thou hast trusted in thy wickedness. Thou hast said, None seeth me, thy kingdom and thy knowledge. It hath perverted thee. And thou hast said in thy heart, I am and none else beside me. I am there is that all that uh, I am all that there is and there is none else but me is the claim that Babylon made we see Babylon's great pride. Babylon's great pride. I look at our country today and I see a country filled with great pride. Let's turn over to Daniel chapter 4 in your Bibles. It will be to the book, to the right, just a handful of books. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 4 and look at verse 28. And we see Isaiah's prophecy of the pride of Babylon coming true. This, I am great. I am the greatest. And and not understanding you are great, not because you made yourself great. You're great because God made you great. Daniel chapter 4. Look with me at verse number 28. The Bible says, And this came uh, upon the king Nebuchadnezzar at the end of twelve months. He walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by, uh, by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee, and they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou uh, know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it, look here, to whomsoever he will. Who is it that gives man their power, gives man their rule? It is not man that gives it to themselves. It is God that giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour has the, th- has the thing fulfilled upon uh, was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till the hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And so we see the pride of Nebuchadnezzar. He claimed himself to be great. He said this kingdom was built by me and for my majesty and God called out from heaven and said, no sir, I brought you to great power and I can take you 
you right back down. Look at Isaiah chapter 14 with me in your Bible. Isaiah 14, we find yet another warning against Babylon from Isaiah. In fact, this is the fourth time already in Isaiah's book from 47 back that we have seen God in some form or another warn Babylon of a a coming uh, rise and then destruction. And here we see the one who sits behind Babylon is the very seed of sin, Satan himself. Look at verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast called in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Uh, they that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble that did shake kingdoms? Every world superpower to date has become arrogant. They believe, they have believed that they cannot and will not be overthrown. Every world superpower through the the scope of history has believed their dominance will last forever. People always, rather pride always gives us a false view of ourselves. The Assyrian Empire fell. The Babylonian Empire fell. The Persian Empire fell. The Roman Empire fell. The Mongolian Empire fell. The Ottoman Empire fell. The British Empire fell. But for some reason, Americans seem to think, well, I'm proud to be an American and uh, we're indestructible and we're invincible and nothing will ever happen to us. We're great and mighty and we're wonderful. And listen, we're right in that same vein if we seem to think that just because we're America that we're going to escape the wrath of God and the punishment of God. No, listen, God says that if you lift yourself up in pride, both as a person and as a nation, God will abase you. He will bring Bring you low. Many Christians seem to think that our American empire will simply always overcome and always uh, be the strongest and always be the best. But a nation who gives themselves over to the prince of pride is bound to fall into great destruction. Babylon's pride. Number four, we see Babylon's Perversion. Babylon's perversion. Look with me at verse number 8 of our chapter. And let's look at the perversion that Babylon had given themselves over to. It says, therefore, hear now this, that thou art... And tell me if you don't think of America as we read this description. Given to pleasures that dwellest carelessly that sayest in thy heart, I am and none else beside me. I shall not sit as a widow, neither shall I know the loss of children. Yeah, I'm an American. We're great. We're always going to win. No one's ever going to overthrow us. Nine. But these two things shall come to thee in a moment. In one day, the loss of children and widowhood, they shall come upon thee in their perfection for the multitude of thy sorceries. Notice that. And for the great abundance of thine enchantments that Satan worshipped, for thou hast trusted in thy wickedness. Thou hast said, None seeth me thy wisdom and thy knowledge. It hath perverted thee. And thou hast said in thy heart, I am and none else beside me. Let's take this apart little at a time. Notice verse 8 says about Babylon's perversions that they are given 
to pleasures, given to pleasures. And I want to say this about the United States of America is that we are a nation that is drunk, drunk on entertainment. We are drunk on entertainment. In 2021, Americans spent $37 billion on just movie purchases alone. $37 billion taking in and consuming movies. America America has become not only the largest creator of the world's entertainment, but we are consumers of great entertainment. America pushes out more pornography than any other nation. America pushes out more godless, God-hating, God-defying movies than any other nation. America pushes out more God-defying music than any other nation. Not only do we consume it at an obese rate, we sell it to other countries and then turn around and damage their morality in the process. But not only are we given to pleasure, notice verse 8 says also about these people in Babylon that they dwellest carelessly. They dwellest or dwell carelessly. What does it mean to dwell carelessly? This means that we're lazy and we're not working. We don't care to provide for others. We dwell without a care of providing for our own mouths. Listen to these startling statistics from Yahoo Finance. Permanently unemployed prime working age men hit an all-time low recently. And a, a prime age man is qualified as aged 16 to 64. 16 to 64. Now listen to this. In 1949, 87.4% of men, uh, again, 16 to 64, were either employed or were actively seeking employment. 87.4% of men were either employed or seeking employment. In 2022, that number is now only 67% of men that are employed or seeking employment. Now let me stop and tell you what that means. That means 33.3% of men who are prime working age male, not only do they not have a job, they've given up looking for a job. They've given up looking for a job. You know what that means? They dwell Carelessly. By the way, since the women's liberation movement, the average woman has gone from a, a, a low point in the 1940s to a all-time high point today. Women are going to work and many men are staying home and content to let their woman provide for them. And uh, listen, we've got things backwards in this country. God made the man and physically equipped him to get up and go to work and make the money and, and bring home the bacon and provide. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a woman going to work, but sir, don't you sit on your tush and let a woman provide for you. You get up and you go to work. We're a country that dwells carelessly. Look at verse number 9. We see the Bible says about them that the multitude of thy sorceries, the multitude of thy sorceries, we know that to be a, 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 a version of of not only witchcraft, but drug dealing. Look at verse 9. It says, it talks about the great abundance of thine enchantments. That directly deals with seances and witchcraft. For many decades, Satan has used the music industry to push his sexual and sinful positions on America's youth. Pop music is short for popular music, 
And Satan knows the old uh, hymn writer Fanny Crosby's adage, what's learned in song is learned long. And he knows that if he wants to move the culture to be even more deviant and lascivious and uh, wicked, he knows that he must first push his agendas through music. And oh, how successful Satan has been. You see, for decades, Satan has used music to undermine God and the Bible in church. He has used music to undermine uh, the way, uh, undermine the way uh, Christians walk and uh, the traditional biblical family. Today, we have more children. In fact, forty percent of children last year in the U.S. of A. were born outside of wedlock. Let me say that again. 40% of children were born outside of wedlock. Satan has used a number of tools to undermine the Christian family and the Christian home and tear apart the nuclear family. But the greatest tool, in my strong opinion, in his arsenal is the music industry. For a long time, Satan has taken shots at preachers and he has uh, taken shots at Christians and taking shots at religion and, and he's undermined it and, and, and tore away the foundation of a biblical Judeo-Christian ethos in this country. All along preachers have been standing behind pulpits since I was a child and before proclaiming that this music was straight out of the pit of hell and was hurting us as a country and hurting us as a people. But now no longer do preachers have to preach about how Satan is hiding behind a curtain. Now he's come right out with it and he's taken the mask off. The Grammys took place just this past Sunday. In the Grammys, there was a performance by two people named Sam Smith and Kim Petros. Please put the picture on the screen. This was part of the Grammys. Here we see Sam Smith dressed up like the devil. These women, in, and I picked a modest picture uh, of their backs. These women in stripper apparel are bowing down and worshiping him. Kim Petros is a man who transitioned to a woman, if you will, when he was 16 years old. She's inside a cage doing a stripper dance, and the title of this song is Unholy. Unholy. They've taken the mask off, people. This was not just some off-the-beaten-path uh, song that took place in, in some Marilyn Manson uh, concert. This was at the Grammys. At the Grammys. The president's wife was there and gave it a standing ovation. And spoke afterwards. Listen, they gave best pop duo for this performance to this couple. This is not some off-the-beaten-path alternative form of music. This is being ramrodded down the throats of our youth. And if it was not bad enough, CBS, who, who hosted this, uh, put the next up, they tweeted, as this was being practiced, they tweeted below, they said, you can say that again, we are ready to worship. We are ready to worship. There's your news media right there. You want to know where our news media is in America, they're ready to worship the devil. And it's not just CBS, it's all of them. We're ready to worship. I believe that the destruction of our country is right around the country, corner if Americans do not wake up. 
the rocks, smoldering rocks of Babylon cry out and they say, America, wake up! America, wake up! The wrath of God will be poured down upon you for your evil. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, Thou hast trusted in thy wickedness. God made us to be a people of trust. When we cease to trust in God corporately as a country, we begin to trust in something and someone else. Corporately as a nation, we're worshiping the devil. And we are worshiping our own wickedness. That brings us lastly to number five, Babylon's punishment. Babylon's punishment. Look at verse number 11. Therefore shall evil come upon thee. Thou shalt not know from whence it riseth. And mischief shall fall upon thee. Thou shalt not be able to put it off. And desolation shall come upon thee suddenly, which thou shalt not know. Stand now uh, with thine enchantments. And notice the sarcasm of the prophet here. Stand now with thine enchantments and with the multitude of thy sorceries wherein thou hast labored from thy youth. If so be, thou shalt be able to profit. If so be, thou mayest prevail. Thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. Behold, they shall be as stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame, they shall not be a coal uh, to warm at, nor fire to sit before it. Thou shalt, uh, uh, thus shalt they be unto thee uh, with whom thou hast labored, even thy merchants from thy youth. They shall wander every one to his quarter, none shall save thee. Now I want to be very clear, this passage was not written to the United States of America. This passage was written to the wicked Babylon who has risen and fallen. America is a nation who once worshipped God. But we have tossed our God to the side. You say, Pastor Lejeune, you've preached a very heavy and condemning sermon against our country. Is there hope? And the answer is, oh, there's always hope. There's always hope. Psalm 33 verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And the people whom He hath chosen for His inheritance. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 34 tells us, it says, Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Here's my challenge to each of you tonight. And listen, I'm preaching to the choir. I've got the, 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 the Christians that are here tonight are the ones who are some of the most devoted in our church, both in our room and scattered across. And others are watching online and who are normally here and can't be for one reason or another. But let me just say to everyone listening to my voice tonight, let me plead with you. Do not be enamored with our sinful culture. Do not look at the sensuality and sexuality of our culture and buy into that and be enamored with it and follow it and uh, uh, want to have anything to do with it. Uh, listen, you need to learn to put away the wicked movies and you need to learn to put away uh, the darkness and understand that these are things that Satan is using to tear apart the moral fabric of our country. Christians need to fall on their face and uh, call out to the God of heaven for His forgiveness and His mercy. Christians in this country need to live lives 
that are not unholy, but holy. And say to God, I'm in line with You and I love You. We need Christians who will plead with this country uh, that God will look on the righteous remnant and spare us just a little bit longer. We need Christians who will say, I'm going to rise up, raise up children and grandchildren who will grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and will lead this country back to God. We need Christians who will do their part to raise up a righteous nation. Oh, America can make a rebound. The the destruction of America is no guarantee. Uh, We can turn this thing around, but we cannot play around. We cannot be enamored with sin. We cannot tune in to all the wickedness of the world and flirt with it. We must run from sin, and we must run to righteousness, and we must lift high the name of Jesus Christ. And may Christians today do their very best to do all they can to love God. So when God looks down on this country... He sees a people who He is blessed by and love Him. Oh, I can't control what Hollywood turns out. And I can't control what happens at the Grammys. But I can control what comes on my TV screen. And I can control what comes over my radio. And I can control what goes in these eye gates and these ear gates. And I can control what my kids look at and listen to. And I can live my life in such a way that pleases the Lord. And if God takes the pulse of the country by me and by you, may He very much just say, praise the Lord, there are some people doing right. I think I'll keep giving America a little bit longer. Oh, may Christians fall on their face and beg God to spare us just a little bit longer. Lord, I pray tonight you take this sermon that I have poured my soul into, Lord, and you would use it. Or we're going to have a moment of invitation. And I'm going to invite Christians in just a moment to come forward and pray for this country. I think everyone in here loves America. I think all of us want to see it succeed. But Lord, help none of us to be above a belief. Help none of us to buy into a belief that America somehow is invincible. You are the God who lifts up superpowers and puts them down. And so Lord, during this time of invitation, may we be a people who call on Your name. And uh, Lord, uh, uh, plead with You. Do something mighty in our midst tonight. But not only tonight, beyond tonight. May we be a people who go forth and commit to a life of holiness and righteousness. Be with us tonight now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet.